Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Good day, good day, you lovelies. Today's episode topic is Italian fairy tales. That's right, the Italian version of Fay. Yep. And I've got my red balloon Ruboy's tea, and I'm ready to share the tales with you. Our first story is Myrtle. Where the gods take pity on a husband and wife, and provide them with a child, completely born of Myrtle. A fairy child, in fact, whose beauty attracts the love of a prince. Beauty enough that he'd give his own eye for it. And your second tale is the Peronto. A story about magic, good deeds, and the true power that the fae can bestow on others. Both these tales are really different. And I like the pacing and characters, particularly the dialogue between the prince and the myrtle child. A sort of poetic pining for these little fairy queens. Now mates, turn the lights off, the sound up, and let's get cozy with tales from Italia. There lived in the village of Miano a man and his wife, who had no children whatsoever and they longed with the greatest eagerness to have an heir. The woman, above all, was ever saying, Oh heavens! If I might but have a little baby, I should not care, were it even a sprig of a myrtle. And she repeated this song so often, and so wearied heaven with these words, that at last her wish was granted, and at the end of nine months, instead of a little boy or girl, she placed in the hand of the nurse a fine sprig of myrtle. This she planted with great delight in a pot, ornamented with ever so many beautiful figures, and set it in the window, tending it morning and evening with more diligence than the gardener does a bed of cabbages, from which he reckons to pay the rent of his garden. Now, the king's son happening to pass by, as he was going to hunt, took a prodigious fancy to this beautiful plant, and sent to ask the mistress of the house if she would sell it, for he would give even one of his eyes for it. The woman at last, after a thousand difficulties and refusals, allured by his offers, dazzled by his promises, frightened by his threats, overcome by his prayers, gave him the pot, beseeching to him to hold it dear, for she loved it more than a daughter, and valued it as much as if it were her own offspring. Then the prince had the flower pot carried with the greatest care in the world into his own chamber, and placed it in a balcony, and tended and watered it with his own hand. It happened one evening, when the prince had gone to bed, and put out the candles, and all were at rest and in their first sleep that he heard the sound of someone stealing through the house, and coming cautiously towards his bed, whereat he thought it must be some chamber-boy coming to lighten his purse for him, or some mischievous imp to pull the bedclothes off him. But as he was a bold fellow whom none could frighten, he acted the dead cat, waiting to see the upshot of the affair. When he perceived the object approach nearer, and stretching out his hand felt something smooth, and instead of laying hold, as he expected, on the prickles of a hedgehog, he touched a little creature more soft and fine than Barbary wool, more pliant and tender than a marten's tail, more delicate than thistledown. He flew from one thought to another, 
and taking her to be a fairy, as indeed she was, he conceived at once a great affection for her. The next morning before the sun, like a chief physician, went out to visit the flowers that are sick and languid. The unknown fair one rose and disappeared, leaving the prince filled with curiosity and wonder. But when this had gone on for seven days, he was burning and melting with desire to know what good fortune this was that the stars had showered down on him, and what ship freighted with the graces of love of which they had come to his moorings in his chamber. So one night, when the fair maiden was fast asleep, he tied one of her tresses to his arm, that she might not escape. Then he called the chamberlain, and bidding him light the candles, he saw the flower of beauty, the miracle of women, the looking-glass and painted egg of Venus, the fair bait of love. He saw a little doll, a beautiful dove, a Fata Morgana, a banner. He saw a gold trinket, a hunter, a falcon's eye, a moon in her fifteenth day, a pigeon's bill, a morsel for a king, a jewel. He saw, in short, a sight to amaze one. In astonishment he cried, Oh, sleep, sweet sleep! Heap poppies on the eyes of this lovely jewel! Interrupt not my delight in viewing as long as I desire this triumph of beauty. Oh, lovely tress that binds me! Oh, lovely eyes that inflame me! Oh, lovely lips that refresh me! Oh, lovely bosom that consoles me! Oh, where and what shot of the wonders of nature was this living statue made? What India gave the gold for these hairs? What Ethiopia the ivory to form these brows? What seashore the carbuncles that compose these eyes? What tear the purple to dye this face? What east the pearls to string these teeth? And from what mountains was the snow taken to sprinkle over this bosom? Snow, contrary to nature, that nurtures the flowers and burns hearts. So saying, he made a vine of his arms, and clasping her neck, she awoke from her sleep and replied, with a gentle smile, to the sigh of the enamoured prince, who, seeing her open eyes, said, Oh, my treasure, if viewing without candles this temple of love I was in transports, what will become of my life now that you have lighted two lamps? Oh, beauteous eyes! That with a trump card of light make the stars bankrupt. You alone have pierced this heart. You alone can make a poultice for it like fresh eggs. Oh, my lovely physician, take pity. Take pity on one who is sick of love, who, having changed the air from the darkness of night to the light of this beauty, is seized by a fever. Lay your hand on this heart. Feel my pulse. Give me a prescription. But my soul... Why do I ask for a prescription? I desire no other comfort than a touch of that little hand, for I am certain that with the cordial of that fair grace and with the healing root of that tongue of thine, I shall be sound and well again. At these words the lovely fairy grew as red as fire and replied, Not so much praise, my lord prince. I am your servant and would do anything in the world to serve that kingly face. And I esteem it great good fortune that from a bunch of myrtle, set in a pot of earth, I have become a branch of laurel hung over the indoor of a heart in which there is so much greatness and virtue. The prince, melting at these words, like a tallow candle, began again to embrace her, and sealing the latter with a kiss. He gave her his hand, saying, Take my faith, you shall be my wife, 
You shall be my mistress of my scepter. You shall have the key of this heart as you hold the helm of this life. After these and a hundred other ceremonies and discourses they arose, and so it went on for several days. But as spoil sport, marriage parting fate is always a hindrance to the steps of love. It fell out that the prince was summoned to hunt a great wild boar which was ravaging the country. So he was forced to leave his wife. But as he loved her more than his life and saw that she was beautiful beyond all beautiful things, from this love and beauty there sprang up the feeling of jealousy, which is a tempest in the sea of love, a piece of soot that falls into the pottage of the bliss of lovers, which is a serpent that bites, a worm that gnaws, a gall that poisons, a frost that kills, making life always restless, the mind unstable, the heart ever suspicious. So, calling the fairy, he said to her, I am obliged, my heart, to be away from home for two or three days. Heaven knows with how much grief I tear myself from you, who are my soul, and heaven knows too whether, ere I set out, my life may not end, but as I cannot help going to please my father, I must leave you. I therefore pray you, by all the love you bear me, to go back into the flower pot and not to come out of it till I return, which will be as soon as possible. I will do so, said the fairy, for I cannot and will not refuse what pleases you. Go, therefore, and may the mother of good luck go with you, for I will serve you to the best of my power. But do me one favour. Leave a thread of silk with a bell tied to the top of the myrtle, and when you come back, pull the thread and ring, and immediately I will come out and say, Here I am. The prince did so, and then calling a chamberlain said to him, Come hither, come hither you. Open your ears and mind what I say. Make this bed every evening, as if I were to sleep in it. Water this flower pot regularly, and mind I have counted the leaves, and if I find one missing... I will take from you the means of earning your bread. So saying, he mounted his horse and went like a sheep that is led to the slaughter to follow a boar. In the meanwhile, seven wicked women, with whom the prince had been acquainted, began to grow jealous, and being curious to pry into the secret, they sent for a mason, and for a good sum of money got him to make an underground passage from their house into the prince's chamber. Then. These cunning jades went through the passage in order to explore, but finding nothing, they opened the window, and when they saw the beautiful Myrtle standing there, each of them plucked a leaf from it, but the youngest took off the entire top, to which the little bell was hung, and the moment it was touched, the bell tinkled, and the fairy, thinking it was the prince, immediately came out. As soon as the wicked women saw this lovely creature, they fastened their talons on her, crying, you are she who turns your own mill the stream of our hopes. You, it is, who have stolen the favour of the prince. But you are come to an end of your tricks, my fine lady. You are nimble enough in running off, but you are caught in your tricks this time. And if you escape, you were never born. So saying, they flew upon her, and instantly tore into pieces, and each of them took her part but the youngest would not join in this cruel act. And when she was invited by her sisters to do as they did, she would take nothing but a lock of those golden hairs, 
So when they had done, they went quickly away, by the passage through which they had come. Meanwhile, the chamberlain came to make the bed and water the flower pot, according to his master's orders, and seeing this pretty piece of work, he had liked to have died of terror. Then, biting his nails with vexation, he set to work, gathering up the remains of the flesh and bones that were left, and scraping the blood from the floor. He piled them all up in a heap in the pot, and having watered it, he made the bed, locked the door, put the key under the door, and taking to his heels, ran away out of the town. When the prince came back from the chase, he pulled the silken string and rung the little bell. But ring as he would, it was all lost time. He might sound the tocsin and ring till he was tired, for the fairy gave no heed. So he went straight to the chamber, and not having patience to call the chamberlain and ask for the key, he gave the lock a kick, burst open the door, went in, opened the window, and seeing the myrtle stripped of its leaves, he fell to making a most doleful lamentation, crying, shouting, and bawling, Oh, wretched me! Unhappy me! Oh, miserable me! Who has played me this trick, and who has thus trumped my card? Oh, ruined, banished, and undone prince! Oh, my leafless myrtle, my lost fairy, oh, my wretched life! My joys vanished into smoke, my pleasures turned to vinegar. What will you do, unhappy man? Leap quickly over this ditch! You have fallen from all happiness, and will you not cut your throat? You are robbed of every treasure. You are expelled from life, and do you not go mad? Where are you? Where are you, my myrtle? And what soul more hard than marble has destroyed this beautiful flower pot? Oh, cursed chase that has chased me from all happiness. Alas, I am done for. I am overthrown. I am ruined. I have ended my days. It is not possible for me to get through life without my life. I must stretch my legs, since without my love, sleep will be lamentation, food, poison, pleasure insipid, and life sour. These and many other exclamations that would move the very stones in the streets were uttered by the prince, and after repeating them again and again, and wailing bitterly, full of sorrow and woe, never shutting an eye to sleep, nor opening his mouth to eat, he gave such way to grief that his face, which was before of oriental vermilion, became of gold paint, and the ham of his lips became rusty bacon. The fairy, who had sprouted up again from the remains that were put in the pot, seeing the misery and tribulation of her poor lover, and how he was turned in a second to the colour of a sick Spaniard, of a venomous lizard, of the sap of a leaf, of a jaundiced person, of a dried pear, was moved with compassion, and springing out of the pot, like the light of a candle shooting out of a dark lantern, she stood there before, and embracing him in her arms, she said, Take heart, take heart, my prince. Have done now with this lamenting, wipe your eyes, Quiet your anger, smooth your face, behold me alive and handsome, in spite of those wicked women who spilt my head and so ill-treated me. The prince, seeing this when he least expected it, arose again from death 
to life, and the colour returned to his cheeks, warmth to his blood and breath to his breast. After giving her a thousand caresses and embraces, he desired to know the whole affair from head to foot, and when he found that the Chamberlain was not to blame, he ordered him to be called and giving a great banquet he, with the full consent of his father, married the fairy. And he invited all the great people of the kingdom, but above all others, he would have present those seven serpents who had committed the slaughter of that sweet suckling calf. And as soon as they had done eating, the prince asked all the guests, one after the other, what he deserved, who had injured that beautiful maiden, pointing to the fairy who looked so lovely that she shot hearts like a sprite and drew souls like a windlass. Then all who sat at table, beginning with the king, said, one, that he deserved the gallows, another, that he merited the wheel, a fourth, to be thrown from a precipice. In short, one proposed this punishment and another that. At last it came to the turn of the seven wicked women to speak, who, although they did not much relish this conversation, yet, as the truth comes out when the wine goes about, answered that whoever had the heart basely to touch one, this quintessence of the charms of love deserved to be buried alive in a dungeon. As you have pronounced this sentence with your own lips, said the prince, you have yourself judged, you have yourself signed the decree. It remains for me to cause your order to be executed, since it is you who, with the heart of a despot, with the cruelty of a murderer, made a fritter of his beautiful head, and chopped up these lovely limbs like sausage meat. So quick, make haste, lose not a moment, throw them this very instant into a large dungeon, where they shall end their days miserably. So this order was instantly carried into execution. The prince married the younger sister of these wicked creatures to the chamberlain, and gave her a good portion, and giving also to the father and mother of the myrtle with Barol to live comfortably. He himself spent his days happily with the fairy, while the wicked women ended their lives in bitter anguish, and thus verified the proverb of the wise men of old. The lame goat will hop if he meets with no stop. The Peruanto a good deed is never lost. He who sows courtesy reaps benefit, and he who gathers kindness gathers love. Pleasure bestowed on a grateful mind was never barren, but always brings a good recompense. And that is the moral of the story I'm going to tell you. Once upon a time, a woman who lived in a village and was called Cesarilla had a son named Peruanto, who was one of the most stupid lads that ever was born. This made his mother very unhappy, and all day long she would grieve because of this great misfortune, for whether she asked him kindly or stormed at him till her throat was dry, the foolish fellow would not stir to do the slightest hand's turn for her. At last, after a thousand dinings at his brain, and a thousand splittings of his head, and saying, I tell you and I told you day after day, she got him to go to the wood for a bunch of sticks, saying, Come now. It is time for us to get a morsel to eat, so run off for some sticks and don't forget yourself on the way, but come back as quick as you can, and we will boil ourselves some cabbage 
to keep the life in us. Away went the stupid peruento, hanging down his head as if he was going to jail. Away he went, walking as if he were a jackdaw, or treading on eggs, counting his steps at the pace of a snail's gallop, and making all sorts of zigzags and excursions on his way to the wood, to come thereafter the fashion of a raven. And when he reached the middle of a plain, through which ran a river, growling and murmuring at the bad manners of the stones that were stopping its way, he saw three youths who had made themselves a bed of grass and a pillar of a great flint stone, and were lying sound asleep under the blaze of the sun, who was shooting his rays down on them point blank. When Peruanto saw these poor creatures looking as if they were in the midst of the fountain of fire, he felt pity for them, and cutting some branches of oak, he made a handsome arbor over them. Meanwhile, the youths, who were the sons of a fairy, awoke and, seeing the kindness and courtesy of Peruanto, they gave him a charm, that everything he asked for should be done. Peruanto, having performed this good action, went his ways towards the woods, where he made up such an enormous bundle of sticks that it would have needed an engine to draw it, and seeing that he could not in any way get it on his back, he set himself astride off it and cried, Oh, what a lucky fellow I should be if this bundle of sticks would carry me riding a horseback. And the word was hardly out of his mouth when the bundle of sticks began to trot and gallop like a great horse. And when it came in front of the king's palace, it pranced and curveted in a way that would amaze you. The ladies who were standing at one of the windows on seeing such a wonderful sight ran to call Vastolla, the daughter of the king, who, going to the window and observing the cacoles of a bunch of sticks and the bounds of a bundle of wood, burst out laughing, a thing which, owing to a natural melancholy, she never remembered to have done before. Peruento raised his head, and, seeing that it was at him that they were laughing, exclaimed, Oh, Vastolla, I wish that I could be your husband, and I would soon cure you of laughing at me. And so saying, he struck his heels into the bundle of sticks, and in a dashing gallop, he was quickly at home. With such a train of little boys at his heels, that if his mother had not been quick to shut the door, they would soon have killed him with the stones and sticks with which they pelted him. Now came the question of marrying Vestola to some great prince, and her father invited all he knew to come and visit him and pay their respects to the princess. But she refused to have anything to say to either of them, and only answered, I will marry none but the young man who rode on that bundle of sticks. So that the king got more and more angry with every refusal, and at last he was quite unable to contain himself any longer, and called his council together and said, You know by this time how my honour has been shamed, and that my daughter has acted in such a manner that all the chronicles will tell the story against me. So now speak and advise me. I say that she is unworthy to live, seeing that she has brought me into such discredit, and I wish to put her altogether out of the world before she does more mischief. The counsellors, who had in their time learned much wisdom, said, Of a truth, she deserves to be severely punished, but after all, it is this audacious scoundrel who has given you the annoyance, and it is not right that he should escape through the meshes of the net. Let us wait, then till he comes to light, and we discover the root of this disgrace, and then we will think it over and resolve what were best to be done. This counsel pleased the king, for he saw that they spoke like sensible, prudent men, 
So he held his hand and said, Let us wait and see the end of this business. So then the king made a great banquet and invited every one of his nobles and all the gentlemen in his kingdom to come to it and set Vastolla at the high table at the top of the hall. For he said, No common man can have done this. And when she recognizes the fellow, we shall see her eyes turn to him, and we will instantly lay hold on him and put him out of the way. But when the feasting was done, and all the guests passed out in a line, Vastulla took no more notice of them than Alexander's bulldog did of the rabbits, and the king grew more angry than ever, and vowed that he would kill her without more delay. Again, however, the counsellors pacified him and said, Softly, softly, your majesty, quiet your wrath. Let us make another banquet tomorrow, not for people of condition, but for the lower sort. Some women always attach themselves to the worst, and we shall find among the cutliers and bead-makers and comb-sellers the roots of your anger, which we have not discovered amongst the cavaliers. This reasoning took the fancy of the king, and he ordered a second banquet to be prepared, to which, on proclamation being made, came all the riff-raff and ragtag and bobtail of the city, such as rogues, scavengers, tinkers, peddlers, sweeps, beggars, and such like rabble who were all in high glee and taking their seats like noblemen at a great long table, they began to feast and gobble away. Now, when Cesarella heard this proclamation, she began to urge Peruonto to go there too, until at last she got him to set out for the feast, and scarcely had he arrived there when Bastolla cried out without thinking, That is my knight of the bundle of sticks! When the king heard this, he tore his beard, seeing that the bean of the cake, the prize in the lottery, had fallen to an ugly lout, the very sight of whom he could not endure, with a shaggy head, owl's eyes, a parrot's nose, a deer's mouth, and legs bare and bandy. Then, Heaving a deep sigh, he said, What can that jade of a daughter of mine have seen to make her take a fancy to this ogre, or strike up a dance with this hairy foot? Oh, vile, false creature, who has cast so base a spell on her? But why do we wait? Let her suffer the punishment she deserves. Let her undergo the penalty that shall be decreed by you and take her from my presence, for I cannot bear to look longer upon her. Then the counsellors consulted together, and they resolved that she, as well as the evildoer, should be shut up in a cask and thrown into the sea, so that without staining the king's hands with the blood of one of his family, they should carry out the sentence. No sooner was the judgment pronounced than the cask was brought and both were put into it. But before they coppered it up, some of Vastola's ladies, crying and sobbing as if their hearts would break, put into a casket of raisins and dried figs that she might have with her all to live on for a little while. And when the cask was closed up, it was flung into the sea, on which it went floating as the wind drove it. Meanwhile, Vastolla, weeping till her eyes ran like two rivers, said to Peruanto, What a sad misfortune is this of ours! Oh, if I but knew who has played me this trick to have caged me in this dungeon! Alas, alas, to find myself in this plight without knowing how! Tell me, tell me, O oh cruel man, 
What incantation was it you made? And what spell did you employ to bring me within the circle of this cask? Peruento, who had been for some time paying little attention to her, at last said, If you want me to tell you, you must give me some figs and raisins. So Vastola, to draw the secret out of him, gave him a handful of both, and as soon as he had eaten them, he told her truly all that had befallen him. With the three youths, with the bundle of sticks, and with herself at the window, which, when the poor lady heard, she took heart and said to Peruanto, My friend, shall we then let our lives run out in a cask? Why don't you cause this tub to be changed into a fine ship, and run into some good harbour to escape this danger? And Peruanto replied, If you would have me say the spell, with figs and raisins, feed me well. So Vastolla, to make him open his mouth, filled it with fruit, and so she fished the words out of him, and lo, as soon as Peruento had said what he desired, the cask was turned into a beautiful ship, with sails and sailors, and everything that could be wished for, and guns and trumpets, and a splendid cabin in which Vastolla sat filled with delight. It being now the hour when the moon begins to play at Cecil with the sun, Vastolla said to Peruento, My fine lad, now make this ship to be changed into a palace, for then we shall be more secure. You know the saying, praise the sea, but keep to the land. And Peruanto replied, If you would have me say the spell, with figs and raisins feed me well. So Vestola at once fed him again, and Peruanto swallowing down the raisins and figs did her pleasure, and immediately the ship came to land and was changed into a beautiful palace, fitted up in a most scrumptuous manner, and so full of furniture and curtains and hangings that there was nothing more to ask for, so that Vastolla, who a little before would not have set the price of a farthing on her life, did not wish to change places with the greatest lady in the world, seeing herself served and treated like a queen. Then to put the seal on all her good fortune, she besought Peruanto to obtain grace to become handsome and polished in his manner that they might live happy together. For though the proverb says, better to have a pig for a husband than a smile from an emperor, still, if his appearance were changed, she should think herself the happiest woman in the universe. And Peruanto replied as before, If you would have me say the spell, with figs and raisins feed me well. Then Vastola quickly opened his lips, and scarcely had he spoken the words when he was changed, as if it were from an owl to a nightingale, from an ogre to a beautiful youth, from a scarecrow to a fine gentleman. Vastola, seeing such a transformation, clasped him in her arms and was almost beside herself with joy. Then they were married and lived happily for years. Meanwhile, the king grew old and very sad, so that one day the courtiers persuaded him to go a-hunting to cheer him up. Night overtook him, and seeing a light in a palace, he sent a servant to know if he could be entertained there, and he was answered that everything was at his disposal. So the king went to the palace, and passing into a great guest chamber, he saw no living soul, but two little boys, who skipped around him, crying, Welcome, welcome! The king, surprised and astonished, stood like one that was enchanted, and sitting down to rest himself at a table, to his amazement he saw invisibly spread on it, Flanders tablecloth, with dishes full of roast meat and all sorts of viands, so that in truth he feasted like a king, waited on by those beautiful children, and all the while he sat at the table a concert of lute and tambourines never ceased, 
such delicious music that it went to the tips of his fingers and toes. When he had done eating, a bed suddenly appeared, all made of gold, and having his boots taken off, he went to rest, and all his courtiers did the same. After having fed heartily at a hundred tables which were laid out in other rooms, when morning came, the king wished to thank the two little children, but with them appeared Vasolla and her husband, and casting herself at his feet, she asked his pardon and related the whole story. The king, seeing that he had found two grandsons who were two jewels, and a son-in-law who was a fairy, embraced first one and then the other, and taking up the children in his arms, they all returned to the city, where there was a great festival that lasted many, many days. Mates, I hope you enjoyed both these tales. The little myrtle fairy who almost died to some insane jealous women, and the unfortunate dullard who became so much more with the help of fairy magic. Folks, thanks for listening. If you want to support the show, visit my iTunes page and leave a review. Helps lovelies like you find the podcast in the first place. And if you want to impact the show and improve the stories, audio, and gather even more folk stories up, you can support me on Patreon via www.patreon.com forward slash SFGT. Now, I want to thank the legends that support me, my Patreon supporters. First up is my Ode Knight Tea Titan, the Queen of Cats, majestic and marvellous, Maya. Thanks for your support, Maya. As always, I've been able to purchase a better Wi-Fi dongle. Sounds silly, I know, but my previous one constantly would drop out, and this new one is so strong and so solid, I don't have to worry about uploading my videos or audio to you lovelies, to only to have to do it again because of some random dropout. I was quiet about it, but thanks to you, I've been able to resolve that issue completely, saving me time and heartache. Thanks, Maya. You're a godsend. My white tea warlord, the ever-awesome Lesser of Loxley. Mate, I hope you're doing fantastic. Thank you, as always, for your kindness and ongoing support. I've been putting your support into covering epidemic sound costs and general subscription costs, which I would normally do without. Thanks to you, we can have new music and sound effects essentially monthly. I'm also building up a new set of audio in preparation to use those effects, so keep an ear out. Cheers, Leza, your one epic dudio. Pages Anologous, thank you, Paige Kramer, for your lovely self and lovely emails. I always have a blast reading them. You are the gift that keeps giving. I'll be responding to your awesome email this weekend, so keep an email ear out for it when it hits your inbox. Just wanted to say thank you for your support and kindness. I've been able to cover off website subscription costs and general maintenance, which I'm so glad that I don't have to worry about. Thanks to you and people like you. Cheers, Paige. You're bloody brilliant. And the wicked peeps that are the nitros to this podcast, putting me in full gear, my Earl Grey enforcers. I'm lucky to have Chad Warren, Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Pete Raffelli, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo, Yacone, Tea Time Drinker 1, and divided by zero. Thank you, you amazing people. Honestly, without your help, this show would be drastically different. And your support goes a long, long way in finding stories and reaching out to authors. I'm always blown away at how generous people are. And because I don't run adverts in any capacity, well, I'm doubly lucky to have the support you guys and gals give me. So have a wonderful weekend. And as always, till next, we meet.